Welcome back, Donuts. Welcome to another episode of Fried Dough, your weekly fix of true crime. I'm your girl, Gina, and I am so excited. But before we get into that, I always want to remind listeners that the stories that I cover on this podcast may be difficult to hear. However, it is very important to shine a light on these cases and remember the victims who were affected. Now, this case might go into two parts. And if it does, it's going to be a weird break in it, but I will let you know that it's going to be a second part to it. So by the title, you see that we're doing the case of Lizzie Borden. Some may not know who Lizzie Borden is, but that's what I'm here for. I'm going to tell you who Lizzie Borden is. Lizzie Borden has been infamous throughout history, and I'm so excited to finally be bringing you this case because even though two people die such a horrible, horrible death, and it's obviously sad, but it's not fresh because it happened about 130 years ago. So so being able to finally tell you this story, it makes me feel like I am in my element. Show of hands to the schoolgirls that used to jump rope singing this song. Y'all may not see it, but my hand is up. This is the case that actually catapulted me into loving true crime, mystery, history, just because this, everything is just all rolled up into one, all in this case. And plus, I found out new details and new facts about it that I really didn't know about. I just knew the premise of this case, but I didn't know all of these facts that I know now. And because of that, it seems like that we are learning about this case together. <laughs> By the end of it, I'm going to start calling myself Columbia, you know, like Columbo or Murder She Text, you know, bring it up to date a little bit or Mad Locks because, you know, I got locks and <laughs> what you didn't think it's funny. Well, the people in my head thought it was funny. I cracked them up. Let's start. On a scorching August day in 1872, the quiet town of Fall River, Massachusetts, was forever marked by a gruesome double homicide. Lizzie Borden, a seemingly ordinary woman, stood accused of brutally axing her father and stepmother to death. The shocking nature of the crime and the subsequent trial captivated the nation, making Lizzie Borden a household name forever etched into crime folklore. This is Friday, True Crime Podcast, and this is the case of Lizzie Borden. I'm so excited. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, gave her father 41. Andrew Jackson Borden was born September 13, 1822 in Fall Rivers, Massachusetts. His family was one of the founding families of Fall River. They actually made their fortunes in cat mills. Unfortunately, Andrew was from the less wealthy branch of the family, and throughout his youth, he often struggled with money. He lived in the same town as the rest of his cousins and family. It was as if they were living in two separate worlds. Andrew lived in the more poor part of the town, 
and the rest of the family lived on the hill, which was the more affluent neighborhood. So he basically struggled to make it, and his cousins are all over here living in mansions and going to parties. Andrew worked hard, and in doing so, he gained his own wealth. He began manufacturing and selling furniture and caskets. He also accumulated a great deal of property that he would rent out. He became a successful real estate developer. He developed several textile mills. So Andrew was doing a damn thing and he became a self-made man. He became his own millionaire. He didn't take no credit or anything like that. Andrew wouldn't buy anything unless he was able to buy it in cash and in full. So with that, everybody called Andrew a miser, a cheapskate. But if you ask me, he was just smart. So at his time of death, Andrew was worth over $10 million today. He met and married Sarah Morris. She was 22 years old and he was 23. They got married on Christmas Eve in 1845. The two had been married for five years before they had their first child. It was a daughter, and her name was Emma Lenore Borden, born on March 1st, 1850. Sarah and Emma were very close. Sarah taught Emma how to cook and how to keep a house. She taught her how to be caring and nurturing. Five years later, Alice Esther Borden was born May 3rd, 1856. But Alice died two months before her second birthday of hydrocephalus, which means excess spinal fluid that builds up on the brain that caused pressure on the skull. Four years later, Lizzie Andrew Borden was born July 19, 1860, in Massachusetts Milltown of Fall River. On March 26, 1863, Lizzie was only two and a half years old. Emma was 12 years old when Sarah Borden died of uterine congestion and spinal disease. On her deathbed, she made her oldest daughter, Emma, promise her that she would always take care of baby Lizzie. Emma, she devoted herself to Lizzie, and Lizzie looked to Emma as a mother. Even though Andrew remarried when Lizzie was five years old, Lizzie never accepted her as a mother. But Lizzie had a special rapport with her father. Andrew wore no ring to commemorate his marriage with Abby, but when his favorite daughter, Lizzie, gave him a thin gold ring, he promptly put it on and wore it until the day of his death. Lizzie taught Sunday school and kept herself busy by singing in the church choir. She delivered baskets and boutiques for the sick and poor. Basically, she was DoorDash. She campaigned against alcohol as a member of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. She worked at the charity hospital and served as the secretary treasurer of the Christian Endeavor Society. She even prepared turkey dinners on Christmas for underprivileged kids. But one thing that Lizzie did not do in that's finished school. She wasn't a good student, nor was she a bad student. She dropped out in her junior year, and I'm just gonna assume that it's the 11th grade, the same as it is today. Lizzie wanted to join the people on the hill and have nice dresses and go to fancy balls and go down to the academy. But unfortunately, she didn't have this, this liberty because Andrew had, had them on a $4 a week allowance. Lizzie just wasn't able to afford that. 
but every now and then Andrew would give in and give them what they asked for. This one particular time, Lizzie was awarded a girl's singles trip with other single women in the neighborhood that was about Lizzie's age to Europe, and she was there for about a month, but she dreaded coming back, and when she came back in May 1892, she just it was basically like going back in time for her because she lived the life. Apparently, in my opinion, he sent her out there to try to find some sort of a husband, but she came back alone. I just think that he got tired of taking care of three grown-ass women, two of which he didn't have to take care of, only if they got married. But yet, Lizzie felt that she was being neglected. Lizzie was also known to be a little bit of a klepto. In the department store in Falls City, she was known for stealing. Andrew had to tell the store clerk that if she was to take anything, to just put it on his bill and he'll pay for it later because she always went there and she always stole something. Neither one of the Borden sisters were taken, and that was unusual for that time. Normally, women were raised to get married by the age of 21, 22 years old and have children shortly after. So, as a result, Lizzie and Emma lived at home with their 70-year-old father and their 60-year-old stepmother, Abby. Abby Gray became the second Mrs. Borden on June 6, 1865. She was in her 30s, and Andrew was 43 years old. She came from a family of what they would call at that time Gentile poverty. She had a good name, and she came from a good background. Basically, she had a, a good working family. Her feelings about Andrew have never been recorded. But at the time, she needed a husband, and Andrew needed a housekeeper and a mother for his children. So the house they lived in is on 2nd Street in Fall Rivers, Massachusetts. It was a two-family home, but Andrew converted it into a two-story, one-family home. And for the color, he told the painter that it was up to Lizzie on what color that she wanted to get to paint the house. And she picked that green. Oh, child, it's horrible to me. Anyway, that's my opinion. So like I said, Andrew Borden was a self-made millionaire, but they still lived like poverty-stricken people. Even the middle-class standards would have electricity in their home or gas lighting, and Andrew Borden, the Bordens, they still carried kerosene lamps. They also would have running water in their home but Andrew did not put in running water. He did, but he didn't put in running water throughout the whole house. They had a pump room. If they wanted a hot bath, they had to heat the water up on the kitchen stove and carry the water over to the tub. And a lot of people thought that it was a primitive way of living, but you have to realize that Andrew didn't come from money. So he didn't have that luxury. And then I think that he was afraid to lose it. It's reported that Lizzie and Emma did not like Addie. Lizzie's relationship with Abby was never close. In one incident in particular, Andrew purchased a house and gave it to his wife, and she allowed one of her sisters to live in it rent-free. Oh, Lizzie and Emma did not like that. They took some sort of a stand, and they resented the fact that perhaps some favoritism was shown to their stepmother. And it was because she was the wife and this is the 1800s and they should not have been there they thought that they deserved something as well 
In turn, Andrew gave them the house that their grandfather owned, which they in turn sold it back to him a few weeks before the murder. And since then, it was a little bit of friction in the house. And ever since then, Lizzie and Emma addressed Abby as Mrs. Borden. So they also refused to eat any more meals with Andrew and Addie. They would come down and eat breakfast and lunch and dinner after they finished eating. So their maid, Bridget Sullivan, had to serve two servings each meal. One thing about Bridget is that she testified and said that she liked Addie because she's the only one in the household that called her her real name. Everybody else called her Maggie. Andrew, Emma, and Lizzie called her Maggie. Maggie was the name of their first maid, and they just didn't have time to remember another name. In the spring and summer of 1892, a dark cloud started hanging over the boarding home. There was a break-in in the boarding home on 2nd Street. During the day, someone came into their home and apparently took $50 and a few pieces of Abby's jewelry, which was sentimental. Nothing else in the house was disturbed. These things were taken from Mrs. Borden's dresser desk on the second floor. The police were notified and the investigation began. However, after about two weeks, Andrew called off the investigation and said they would never find the person who stole these things. And that was kind of odd because of his temperament, how he was. He wouldn't do that. I'm thinking he knew that it was Lizzie who did it because she was known to be a klepto and he was known to covering her ass. And from that point, every door in the boarding house was locked. Andrew would even lock his door and take the key down and put it on the mantle in the parlor, which is the living room. And if you saw the layout of this house, you would assume, just as I do, that whoever broke into their house, and I'm using air quotes here, they literally bypassed every other room, went upstairs, went all the way in the back, and went into Andrew and Abby's room to steal those things. And I'm going to try to find like the blueprint or a picture of the layout, and I'm going to try to post that. During the first days in August, everyone in the household complained of illness except Lizzie. And by Wednesday, August 3rd, Abby was kind of alarmed. The day before the murders, Abby made a statement that she thought that the baker's bread had been poisoned and she was not well. She was claiming that someone tried to poison them both. She called across to the Dr. Bowen who came over and that night before the murders, Lizzie visited Alice Russell, which is a neighbor, and told Alice that she was afraid that her father had an enemy who had poisoned the milk. She also said that she saw a man hanging out around the house and that the barn and the house had both been broken into in broad daylight. She said that she had to sleep with one eye open and that she was afraid that the house would burn down around their heads. The morning of August 4th, 1892 likely started in the Borden household as any other morning would have. There had been a guest of the evening, which was John Morris, Lizzie and Emma's uncle, and Andrew's brother-in-law by his first wife, Sarah. Basically, he was Sarah's brother. 
That morning, Andrew, Abby, and John Morris had breakfast together. They had Johnny Cakes, mutton, broth, coffee, and cookies. I had to Google what are Johnny Cakes, and I thought they were pancakes. But it says Johnny Cakes is fried gruel made of yellow or white cornmeal mixed with salt, hot water, or milk, sometimes sweet. It's a tribute to the Native Americans. And that sounds like hot water cornbread. But Lizzie did not take breakfast, and Emma was out of town at that time, living her best life. Emma was away. She was in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. She had a house party there and was not present in the home on this day. After breakfast, John Morris went to go visit relatives on the other side of town, and Andrew left to attend business at his bank. Addie Borden instructed maid Bridget Sullivan to wash the first floor and second floor windows inside and out. Then she went upstairs to make the bed where John Morris was staying in the guest room. No one saw her alive again. At 10.30, Andrew Borden returned home and laid down to rest on the sofa in the sitting room. Sometime, most likely between the hours of 10.45 and 11 o'clock a.m., Andrew Borden was killed Speculation says that sometime between 9 o'clock and 9.30 a.m., Abby Borden was killed. Andrew arrived home at around 10.45 a.m. Andrew tried to enter the home from the side door but could not because it was locked from the inside. Bridget heard him knocking because she was finishing up in the parlor with the windows, and she came to unlock the three latches to unlock the door to let him in. She says she heard Lizzie laugh from the landing on the upstairs above and Andrew came in the home. Lizzie came down to greet her father. Abby said that she heard Lizzie ask about the mail, and Lizzie said she also helped her father with his shoes off. And when Andrew asked about Abby, Lizzie told him that Abby had gotten a letter from someone being sick, and she left the home. Andrew sat on the couch where he was sitting to read the paper and dozed off to take a nap and that was when someone murdered him. Bridget says she had finished up the windows and went upstairs, and she went to bed to also take a nap. She said she heard the clock strike 11 o'clock, and she said the next thing that she heard was Lizzie calling her, Maggie, Maggie, come quick. Someone's come in and killed father. Bridget was ordered to go across the street to retrieve Dr. Bowen and family friend Alice Russell. While Lizzie was sitting there waiting for the police to get there and the doctor, Lizzie was in the house by herself, just chilling. She was standing in the screen door and she saw her neighbor, Mrs. Churchill. Mrs. Churchill waved, saying hi to her neighbor, and Lizzie says, do come over, someone has killed father. Mrs. Churchill was probably like, I am not for your shit today. So Mrs. Churchill and Alice were the first on the scene. While waiting for the police to arrive, Adelaide Churchill became the first person to ask Lizzie, where were you? Lizzie replied that she had been in the barn looking for a piece of iron to make a sinker because she was going fishing soon. And she said while she was out in the barn, she heard a thud in the house. So she came back in the house and that's when she found Andrew on the sofa dead. And at that time, she asked, okay, well, where's Abby? And that's when Lizzie told Mrs. Churchill that Abby had gone to take care of a sick friend. 
So now the two people that Lizzie had summoned, Dr. Bowen and Alice Russell, had arrived to the house. So around the same time the police were showing up, so did Mrs. Whitehead. Mrs. Whitehead is Abby's half-sister. And she came over like, what's going on? Where's my sister? And Lizzie told her, I think I heard her come in earlier. She might be upstairs. She told Bridget to go and look for Abby. Bridget was like, good luck. I'm not doing it. The killer still might be up in here. So ultimately, Mrs. Churchill and Bridget went up the front staircase. When they came to the landing and looked across to the room, they saw Addie. She was found face down between the bed and the dresser on the far end of the wall. The back of her head was crushed in with what it looked like to be a heavy instrument that was used on Andrew. But the blood showed that Abby had been killed hours earlier because it started to coagulate. They estimated the time between the deaths was about one to two hours. The police records show that they received the call at the police station at 11.15 that morning. The police were dispatched to the house. Andrew was found in the sitting room lying on the sofa. The left side of his head was crushed in. His eyeball had been cut in half. His nose was severed from his face. Blood was still dripping from his wound. And his body was still warm. The investigating officer said, I was surprised at the way Miss Lizzie carried herself, and I must say that I admire the nerve. She did not appear to have the least bit of excitement or worry. I was wondering why she didn't faint upon the discovery of her father's body. Most women would have done so for more horrible sights I have never seen. So basically, Lizzie was unrattled by the sight that she discovered. A crowd of people started gathering outside the Borden house. And right here is where I'm going to leave you on part one. We still have the movements of Lizzie and Bridget. Which one done it? You know, Uncle John is still around somewhere. So we got to look at his movements. We got the testimony. We got the arrest and the funeral. So, boy, it's a lot. And I told you, this is my favorite case. So I'm trying to give you everything because it is so interesting to me. So until then today's missing segment we're going to feature Sadia McDonald age 17 female black hair brown eyes 411 and weighs 100 pounds Sadia was last seen in Cleveland Heights Ohio October 13 2022 if anyone has any information regarding the whereabouts of Sadia please contact special victims unit at 614-525-3555 or you can contact Crime Stoppers at 614-645-4749 or you can visit www.the3tips.com Let's help bring Sadia home to her family. If you enjoyed this case, hit that subscribe button so you will never miss another episode. If you have any insight on this case or any other case that I've covered or if you have case suggestions, connect with the podcast on Twitter or Instagram, or you can leave a 60-second message. All of those links are in the show notes. Until next time, stay safe, stay vigilant, and please always, always, always trust your instincts, child, because as soon as you start ignoring those, baby,